Welcome everybody to the Troy First Assembly of God podcast. We created this podcast to share our weekly messages from the Word of God, and we're so glad that you're here. Sunday we talked about boundaries and and came out of Galatians. Tonight we're coming out of the Gospels, and we're going to talk about, we're going to look how a master does it. Actually, we're going to look how the master does it, how Jesus does it. And before we jump in, I want to frame the whole series. I mean every message that we're going to preach in this with the question that the disciples asked Jesus when he told them at the Last Supper, one of you is going to betray me. Does anybody remember what they said? Is it me? Master, is it me? And guys, before we get another message into this sermon, I want us to, to, to ask ourselves in every one of these messages, Master, is it me? Jim, would you hit that button, please? It turns on the front lights. I, I'm, I'm caught. I can't get any further forward than this because I'm going to be in the dark. And so, yeah, if you would hit the, it says floor. It should say Wednesday or tentacles floor. Perfect. Master, is it me? And I want us to ask this every message when we're talking about Controlling when we're talking because these are not yes or no questions. These are on a continuum. You know what I'm saying? It's not you are a totally controlling person or not. You can have a little bit of tendencies. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so the 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 problem with preaching a series like this is it's so very easy for us to all start thinking, oh, I wish such and such was here. They need to hear that part. This is so much about my husband. This is so much about my daughter. This is so, and guys, we've got to keep our hearts open and at every point in this series go, God, is that me? Do I do that? And I'm telling you, anybody know what a blind spot is? How many of y'all know we all got them? We all got blind spots, the things that, I'm just telling you, it's why a lot of times I get done with a message and I'll ask some people that I, I really I value their opinion. I'll ask folks, I said, what you think? How'd that come off to you? How Because I know what I intend. But how many of y'all understand you don't always come off the way you think you're coming off? You don't, it doesn't always translate the way you think it is. Bible says, every one of these folks said, am I the one Lord? All of them said that except for one. Judas. You know what Jesus, Judas said? Surely it's not me, teacher. Every one of the rest of them called him Lord. Judas called him rabbi, called him teacher, didn't call him Lord. And that's it's really telling, guys. So I'm telling you, as we do this, we need to examine ourselves. And just like the book of Psalms says, this is not a series about all those bad people out there. This is about, Lord, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. Amen? Amen. So, tonight we're going to talk about how Jesus dealt with difficult people. In the place in Jesus' life we're going to look, we're going to dig into his crucifixion, torture, and resurrection. In my opinion, it's the best place to see how to deal with people doing really terrible things that Jesus absolutely did not deserve. Amen? Yeah. Jesus dealt with some people 
doing some really bad things. And he did nothing to deserve it. And yet we can learn so much out of his reactions. So I want us to start with a couple of obvious questions. Because these need to be in the back of our head for the entirety of this lesson. One. Did Jesus love everybody? Yes or no? Yes. Uh, Pharisees? Yes. Pilate? Yes. Herod? Did he love people that he called whitewashed tombs? Oh, yeah. Did he love people that he called snakes? Yes. Anybody remember there was a place where Jesus called a set of people, you bunch of snakes? Did he love people when he was turning over tables and beating them with a whip, driving them out of the temple? Yes. Did he love people when he was turning their question on their own head and humiliating them. Did he love them? I'm telling you, Jesus doesn't just love. Jesus is love. If Jesus, y'all know enough simple math to know what a syllogism is. A syllogism is if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. If Jesus is God and God is love, then Jesus is love. And that means everything Jesus did was loving. That means when Jesus turned on the Pharisees and said, you bunch of hypocrites, that's the most loving thing you could do to those people. Because what they needed was somebody to shake them by the shoulders and say, wake up or you're going to head down a path and be destroyed. Next question. Did Jesus always act in love toward everybody? Yes. Was he ever petty? No. Did he ever seek revenge? No. Was he ever just ordinary? Did he ever have ill intent? No. Guys, keep this in mind because as we go through this message, I want you to see these are framing questions. And some of the actions that Jesus does. If you don't keep this in your head, you might think, mm, I wonder what he's about. He's about love every time. So Jesus always loved. And while Jesus was on this earth, he was unlike us in one regard. He was perfect and holy and never sinned. How many of y'all know what that means? That means that every action he did was the right thing to do. Right. It's true. The right thing to do. The loving thing, the right, never sinned. So by looking at how he did things, guys, we can get learned so much. So if you've got to deal with difficult, hard to love people, what's the first thing Jesus did and we're going to have to do? Well, Jesus prayed. And how many of y'all know when it comes to torture, trial, I'm talking about a kangaroo court trial that none of it was true. They couldn't find witnesses that would agree with each other. Y'all know what I'm talking about? When you're talking about the trial and the, the, the torture and finally the crucifixion, how many of y'all understood? Jesus prioritized prayer before it started. In fact, he was not, I'm going to need to get some rest. This is going to be an exhausting ordeal. He comes out of the Last Supper and he has one night left. And he knew 
that they were coming in that night to arrest him. The disciples, and Jesus is like, boys, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. Can't y'all pray? Jesus prayed before any of it ever started. And I'm just telling you, Jesus prayed before he was betrayed. He prayed before he was forsaken and everybody walked away from him. He prayed before he was beaten the first time. He prayed. Look, at the end of the Last Supper, we run right past it like it's not a big deal. At the end of the Last Supper, before the arrest, the trial, the torture, the crucifixion, the Bible says when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the garden to pray. Y'all, I, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody spend a sermon on when they've sung a hymn, they then went to prayer. Why would he sing a hymn? Well, a hymn for him was not Old Rugged Cross or How Great Thou Art. The word hymn in Greek is a song of testimony. What Jesus sang was one of the psalms, very likely one of the Passover psalms that everybody sang that night. But one of the songs of testimony, which were, I don't care how dark it looks, God is going to carry me through. Amen. A song of testimony. A hymn. He did not sing a praise song. He did not sing a worship song. He sang a hymn. And there's sometimes what you got to do is you need to remind yourself with testimony and with a song of testimony before you get into a situation. And I'm just telling you, some of y'all got family members, some of y'all got difficult bosses, some of y'all got people you need to pray for you get there. Because if you don't pray for you get there, you're going to say something you wish you hadn't said. You're going to get off into sin. You go, how did Jesus keep from sin? Well, he prayed before he got there. And hear me say this, guys. Sometimes prayer will not remove the people problems. But it will enable you to have the grace to deal with people problems. Prayer did not remove any of Jesus' torture or problems. But prayer enabled him to walk through it with the grace God needed him to have. And... You know, the thing that really does just take the top of my head off is if Jesus is God and is the son of God and he needed to pray, what in the world makes us think we don't need to pray? I mean, of all the, things, of all the people on the planet that you think they don't need to pray, he's in direct contact with his father, but he, he prayed, he prayed. Prayer will keep you from getting bitter. Prayer will keep you focused on God's will. Because hear me say this, guys. The sources of your greatest joy can also be the sources of your greatest pain. Where did the greatest pains come for Jesus? It's not when the Pharisees turned on him. He knew they were turning on him. It's when the disciples turned on him. Your greatest sources of joy are the relationships where your greatest pain will come from. I'm sorry, I wish it weren't that way. But anybody here ever had a spouse or a child hurt you worse than any of your enemies have ever hurt you? You understand what I'm saying? And Jesus knew that he had to connect with his father 
The need to stay before God in prayer. The disciples chose sleep. And when they entered the grinder of the arrest, torture, and crucifixion, it almost destroyed them. Jesus chose prayer. And when he went into the grinder, he went in strong. Next, Jesus knew when to remain silent. Guys, dear Lord, please teach all of us this one. Well, Pastor, you're not telling me what to do about these these difficult people I'm dealing with. I'm telling you what Jesus did with Jesus. Jesus knew when to hush. During his ministry, Jesus caused people to marvel at the miracles and his teaching. But literally when all, and I don't mean this like cussing, I mean this as the truth. When all of hell broke loose against him, he knew when to keep his tongue. He knew it was silence that caused Pontius Pilate to marvel. It was not a miracle. Pontius Pilate said, Do you not know who I am? Do you not know I could let you go? Do you not? You're going to stand there and say nothing? And you know what Jesus said? You wouldn't have any power at all if it weren't given to you by my Father. So no, I'm not going to say anything. Guys, do you know what the, one of the greatest acts of discipline you've ever seen is? They start nailing him to the cross and he doesn't call 10,000 angels. How many of you have been in pain in your life and if you'd have had the ability to call angels and say, get me out of here now, you'd have just done it. I mean, you don't have the ability to just command angels. But y'all, I've been in situations where if God would have let me, I'd have commanded angels and gotten myself out of that. But Jesus, look at this. You know this, my beloved brethren. Look what the Bible says. James, you know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Everybody must be quick to hear, slow to speak. Oh, my goodness. Aren't y'all, see, I, I'm really good at this. Not. <laughs> I don't know anybody that's really good at this. Everybody must be quick to hear. You know what that means? You've got to be quick to go, I want to understand what it is you're saying. Anybody have somebody in your life just drives you crazy that honest to goodness, you're done trying to hear them? You just don't want to hear anymore. I know, don't you hate this whole series? I do. I just hate it. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get mad. I don't know about y'all. When I get mad, I'm not slow. <laughs> I don't get mad often, but when it happens, usually I go from zero to 60 about that quick. The Bible says, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get mad. Which means... You can control you getting mad. Hmm. A lot of people say, oh, well, Pastor, I can't control my anger. Anger just comes on me and I have no control over it. Oh, well, why in the world would the Bible say you need to be? Everybody must be slow to anger. If you can't control that accelerator, then the Bible is unreasonable in what it's asking you to do. You can control it. For and get this one. Oh, my goodness. I hate this lesson. 
For a man's anger never works the righteousness of God. Uh, the, the anger of a man, a man's anger, does not bring about the righteousness of God. Jesus wasn't silent because he had nothing to say. Sometimes the most wisdom-filled thing you can say is nothing. We talked about it a little bit on Sunday. As far as it depends on you, that's what the Bible says. Some people are not going to be convinced. All you're going to do by opening your mouth is give them ammunition to use against you every time you open your mouth. Anybody ever had a relationship like that? My old pastor used to say the best way to show up childish behavior is to put some adult behavior right next to it. If somebody's being childish, you just put the adult behavior right next to it where people can see the difference and then keep your mouth shut. Just be an adult. I know it's tough when people are talking at you, but guys, we have got to learn to be led by God's Holy Spirit and not our temper or our sense of outrage. We need to take a page out of Jesus' book and learn when to hush. And everybody that may or may not like it, but understands us what the Word of God said. Amen. <laughs> this is the most lackluster amen I have ever heard in my life. Next, Jesus pre-forgave. He forgave before. I don't know about y'all. This one's hard. How do you pre-forgive? How do you forgive before? I have trouble forgiving afterward. I mean, Jesus forgave these folks who had given him nothing but trouble, nothing but unbelief, nothing but problems the whole time. The ones that sent him to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them before. And y'all, I love my wife and I have trouble forgiving her sometimes. Can anybody relate? I love that woman and I have trouble sometimes. And I live with her and I care about her. And you're asking me, Jesus? If the Lord allows me, late summer, I'm going to do a Wednesday night series called, What If Jesus Was Serious About All That Stuff He Said? It's going to be a great series. But one of the things, one of the messages in that is, love your enemies. What if he was serious about that? Gosh, I have a hard time loving good people. Jesus forgave before. Jesus forgave before they apologized. He didn't wait for them to apologize. If you wait too long to forgive the people that are causing you pain, your hurt will turn your heart to bitterness and offense and unforgiveness. And it ends up doing more damage to you than it ever does to the person who hurt you. Look at this, guys. Betrayal is something that happens that people do to us. Bitterness is something we do to ourselves. That's good. That's true. Can anybody say amen? Amen. But pastor, they betrayed us. Nobody's ever done you as badly as they did Jesus. The Apostle Paul goes so far in the New Testament to say, none of y'all have striven to the point of blood. Basically what Paul is saying is, you hadn't had it as bad. 
How many of y'all know, more than once, Paul was beaten and left for dead. Y'all, none of us have had, none of us have suffered for Jesus like that. No. So I'm just saying, oh, don't you continue to hate this message. Ephesians tells us, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Yep. Now, it's daylight saving time. You've got a little more time to be mad. <laughs> it doesn't get good and dark till about 9 by now. I was driving home the other night from teaching school of ministry. And I was 8.30 and I was like, it's still light. I could still be mad. <laughs> but the Bible said, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Why not? Because the Bible tells us why you don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Read everything that's there. Be angry, but don't sin. That means it's possible to be angry and don't get off of into sin. I know it's a trick, but you can do it. Next, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Why? Because you're a fool if you give the devil an opportunity. You know what the word here in Greek is? A foothold. It's a mountain climbing term. Don't give the devil a place where he can grab a hold and pull himself up into your life. Don't give him a foothold where he gets just a little bit of a foothold and before you know it, what was just a little chink in the rock becomes a place the devil can heave his whole weight up and grab a hold of your life. Do not give the devil a foothold. That's why you don't stay mad. But pastor, they deserve to feel my anger. Well, talk to Jesus, honey. Talk to Jesus. If anybody knew, what do y'all understand? Can you imagine? Jesus would have been blameless if he'd have wiped the whole bunch out at Calvary. I mean, if he'd have just said, watch right here, and just killed them all like a Marvel movie. Just wiped them out. He's God. He could have done it. Next, Jesus responded to his father. He did not react to people. But pastor, people are who's right in front of me. I understand that. People was who were right in front of Jesus. It was people gambling for his clothes. It was people nailing him to the cross. It was people hitting him with a whip. It was people spitting on him. But he responded to his father. He didn't react to people. Jesus would have been completely right, completely justified, if his position had been, y'all, I deserve to be treated better than this. I am not being honored like I ought to be honored. I am not being recognized like I deserve to be recognized. I am not being applauded and approved for my gifts and what I do. How many of us have ever said that at our job? I'm not being treated like I ought to be treated. I'm not being honored like I ought to be honored. I'm not being valued like I ought to be valued. And Jesus didn't do it. You know the other thing Jesus didn't do? Jesus didn't sit there and go, you know what? I'm done with these people. I'm done with these people. I, I am ready to just check out on all of y'all and go back to glory. I don't need any of that. How many of y'all know in glory he had all the riches of heaven? He had a, a, a 
kicking relationship with his own father. He was always adored, always honored. The angels of God bowed before him. And he had a hold of all the power of the Godhead. And the Bible says he laid these things down to come and save us. But you understand on the cross, you never get Jesus' attitude of, I am about done with y'all. Right. Let me check out of here and get back to my home. He never acts like that. Y'all, right. I'm just saying there's a lot to this tonight. It's hard not to react to people. It's hard to just respond to God. But think back over what you know. Of the seven things Jesus said on the cross, four out of the seven were to God, not to people. Two of the remaining three were taking care of people. One of them was, today you'll be with me in paradise. One of them was, John, take care of my mama. The other four things he said on the cross were to his father, not to people. He talked to God. He talked to people. He reacted to God. Think about it. Reacting when somebody stings us to anger is much easier than responding to God. Or what about this? What would you have done if you'd have been Jesus when somebody hollered at you? Save yourself by coming down off the cross. If you'll do that, we'll believe in you then. Is there anybody other than me that would have copped an attitude at that moment? I just, I'm telling you, I would have taken my hands off those nails and put them squarely on my hips right before I fried them. I'm just telling you, I'd have been like, come down off that crop. Hide and watch just a second. I'm, I'm coming down, but you ain't going to be glad when I get down. I, Jesus could have ended the torture and shut them all up with finality with just one word, and yet he did not. Why? Because everything he did was in response to the Father, not in reaction to people. Just like Moses. Y'all, when Moses responded to the people, when he should have responded to God, he wrecked his own chances of going into the promised land. God told him, speak to the rock. And the people got to him. And his anger got involved and he, he reacted to people and hit that rock with the staff. And God said, I'm sorry, son. Sorry. You know what else you may have never noticed about that story? God never uses the staff again. The staff was used a bunch up to that point. But at the point at which Moses used the staff outside of the will of God, God never used the staff again. Sometimes we need to pause and ponder before we try to prove and defend. I'm going to say that again because that was worth hearing. Sometimes we need to pause and ponder before we try to prove and defend. What if God were to ask you to bow and bear the pain for something you didn't do? And before you tell me God would never ask me to do that, He asked His Son. To bow and bear the pain for something he did not do. What are you going to do if God asks you to bear the pain for something you didn't do? Something you don't deserve. Respond to the Father. And think this one through. How many of the miracles were done for centurion's servants? For 
synagogue officials' children who were dead. Centurions' kids. I'm, not, I'm talking about Roman people and people in authority in the synagogue. How many of y'all know Jairus' daughter that he raised from the dead right after he healed the woman with the issue of blood? The Bible says Jairus was an official in the synagogue. But we don't put this all together with the crucifixion. But guys, a lot of the people Jesus did miracles for were Romans and synagogue officials. And here they are. Torturing him. Next, Jesus ministered while suffering. Oh, this message just gets harder and harder. Jesus ministered, and again, it's all stuff you know. It's all stuff you know. In the middle of this assault, bringing online all the powers of hell coming against Jesus, Jesus ministered to people while he was suffering. He did not give up on people because people were the ones causing him pain. Guys, it's so easy. To let your hurt put you in a place where, well, I tell you one thing, people aren't going to hurt me anymore. And Jesus did not give up on people because people were the ones hurting him. Think about what you know. In the middle of him being arrested, he stopped and healed a guy's ear that one of his own disciples had cut off. In the middle of him being arrested. He ministered to his mom by arranging her future and her well-being. He ministered to a criminal who actually got saved on the cross. While he was being betrayed by people, he was serving people. He didn't close his heart and say, I'm done with humanity. I'm done with people. Honestly, I cannot wait to get away from here. Can't wait to be surrounded by angels again and be worshipped in glory. He ministered to people. So guys, get this. This is, this is keepers. Do not let your pain stop your purpose. If your pain stops your purpose, the devil wins that round. Jesus didn't let his pain stop his purpose. Next, don't let your misery block your ministry. Don't, don't let what you're going through stop your forward progress. Paul didn't wait to get out of prison to write Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And think back to the Old Testament story of Naaman. Naaman was a Syrian army commander who had kidnapped a little girl from Israel and she became his wife's slave, his wife's handmaiden. And that little girl... When Naaman came up with leprosy, this fatal disease that was going to rot him away from the outside in. Naaman comes up with this awful disease. And it's this little girl that was kidnapped away from her home and was Naaman's wife's slave who did not say, I don't know about y'all, if I was her, if I was that little girl, I would have said, Serves you right. I'm one of God's chosen people. I'm an Israelite. You kidnapped me away from my home. You forced me into slavery. That's what happens to you. God is doing this to you. 
Anybody with me? Y'all are all so much holier than I am. I would get an attitude. You know what that, what name, the girl doesn't even get a name in scripture. You know what that little girl says? That little girl tells Naaman, if you could get to, to Israel, there's a prophet there and he could heal you. He could make you well. If you just could get it, get to Israel, there's a man there that hears from the Lord. You could get healed. I don't know about y'all. I've had a hard time worrying about that man's healing. All the time that she is telling Naaman about God, God is not delivering her from her slavery. I hate this message. <laughs> The God that she is testifying about to Naaman, he will heal you, is not delivering her at that moment. That's true. Alright, this next one is the hardest point in the whole message. In case you haven't thought it's been hard already. Jesus knew when the distance. There comes a time. Jesus knew when the distance. And I had never noticed this in Scripture before. I actually heard, y'all don't think I'm the craziest. I, I listen to sermons recreationally because I really do. I just really enjoy it. If I'm going to be teaching on something, I will listen. Well, I heard a guy that I cannot, I can't recommend everything he preaches because he's really into deliverance ministry. But he's a Russian. Actually, he's Ukrainian. Not Russian. He speaks Russian. But he's a Ukrainian named Vlad Sabchuk. But I was listening to Vlad preach. And Vlad brought up a point that I had never considered. So I have to tell you the truth. It's not me that thought this through. But Vlad Sabchuk brought up a point that I just never thought about. After the resurrection, Jesus walked on the earth for 40 days before the ascension. In all of that time, not once did he go back and have anything to do with Pilate, Herod, or any of the Pharisees. Not once. Not once to show them. Not once. I would have, I mean, I don't know about y'all. I would have done it simply for the, for the pleasure of going, Nah! I told you I was coming back. Nah! You shutting up now? Ain't you sorry you had me killed? I mean, to prove a point, I would have shown up. The Bible says he could walk through walls. The Bible said it didn't take him any time to make a visit. He'd show up someday, he'd met with those two guys on the road to Emmaus, and the next thing you knew, boom, vanished. The disciples are all meeting in a locked house, and they're all scared, and he just pops up in there. But guys, not once does he go back and try to save them either. Not once does he reach out to them and say, do you believe now? The Bible says that he appeared to many, not to them. Anybody else think that's an, just an incredible point that I can't believe I'm this old and I have missed it all this, this time? Guys, Pontius Pilate, 
Do you know what Jesus' attitude obviously is? If they're going to come to faith, they will come like everybody else through the word of the disciple. They'll come through the words of the disciples. They won't. It's the same thing that when he was telling the story, remember about Lazarus, the other Lazarus, not the one he raised from the dead, the other Lazarus who went to Abraham's bosom and the rich guy went to hell and the rich guy said, please just send, send Lazarus back to tell my brothers. I got brothers. And Jesus said, they won't believe if somebody rose from the dead, they won't believe. Well, guys, Jesus knew that it was a waste of time. Going back to Herod, going back to Pilate, and going to have another round with the Pharisees, it's just, and, and guys, he had 40 days to do it. A after all this, the Pharisees who were up in his grill for his entire earthly ministry, by whose authority are you saying this? But should you be healing that guy on the Sabbath if you are the Son of God? Oh! After the resurrection, not once did he go back to prove to them or to seek some kind of reconciliation or to give them a second chance. And he knew they were laboring under a deception that the disciples had stolen his body away. And he didn't show up to, to fix that either. He knew when it was time some distance there. I told you this is a tough point. Even though he knew they had that idea, he saw no need to set them straight by himself. They could listen to the disciples. And actually, we do have some scriptural evidence that a number of them did listen to the disciples. Because if you read Acts, and if you read the writings of Paul, there are a number of folks who were high monkey monks in the synagogue who were the ones that were saying, you got to be circumcised if you're going to be saved. And Paul had to set them straight. So they were synagogue officials. So I'm not saying none of these people got saved. I'm saying Jesus didn't appear to them. Now, go back to the original question we had at the beginning of this lesson. Did Jesus love them? Yes. But you know what he told Thomas? Blessed are you because you've seen. But blessed are those who've not seen and yet believe. He wasn't, he wasn't ugly to them. Sometimes it is the appropriate loving thing to do to put some distance. Saul threw a spear at David more than once. But the last time Saul threw a spear at David, I believe it was the third time if I'm right. I may not be right on that. I didn't, didn't actually go through and count. But I believe it's the third time Saul in his own house threw a spear at David. At that point, David never went back to his house. Even when Saul cried and repented, and I'm so sorry, and I just, you are a better man than I am, and God's going to give you the kingdom, and I just, I want to make it up to you, son. Calls him son. Even when there is this wonderful apology, 
David never goes back to Saul's house. I told you, tough message. Distance. There is such a thing, and guys, we've got to be led by the Holy Spirit, but there is such a thing as healthy distance. And if God tells you, it's not unloving to put healthy distance if there needs to be healthy distance. Next and last, Jesus trusted that no matter what they did to him, he was going to rise again. Didn't matter what people said, didn't matter what people did. There is the coolest bit of scripture here because Jesus' relationships to people were grounded in his relationship to God, not his relationship to people. Did you hear what I said? His relationship to people was grounded in his relationship to God, not his relationship to people. If your relationship to people is grounded in people, then people can affect it. But if your relationship to people is grounded in God, then people can't affect it. Now, the easiest example for me to use, y'all all know, Rebecca and I really sought the Lord before we ever got married. I mean, we prayed and fasted and got a word from God, and that's who I'm going supposed to marry. But hear me say this, guys. My relationship to Rebecca as long as we both shall live is grounded in my relationship to the Lord. And I stood and I made a vow. I took a covenant. I did a to the Lord. Yes. To the Lord. And so hear me say it, guys. And believe me, I, I know what I'm talking about. I have come upon times in almost 40 years of living with this woman where I didn't like her. And she didn't like me. But we have come through to get to the other side where we're better, we're good. We're, in fact, we're not in that spot anymore because God. Because God. And I'm just telling you, Jesus did not relate to people based on people. He related to people based on God. And look, look at what it says in John 2. I love this bit of scripture because to me, this is one of the funniest and yet realist verses of scripture in the Bible. He, Jesus, he didn't need anybody to tell him about people. He didn't need anybody to testify to him about mankind. Because he himself knew what was in mankind. He didn't need anybody to explain to him what people were like. He knew. And you know the crazy thing about Jesus? He managed to know without becoming cynical or jaded. How many of y'all know Jesus is, of all things in this world, Jesus is not cynical. Jesus is not, every time you come to prayer, asking for forgiveness for the same thing again. How many of y'all know Jesus does not go, oh, just roll his eyes and sigh. He's not jaded. He's not cynical. But see, his trust all the way through the stupid trial, which made no sense. The torture, which... The Bible says for the joy set before him, the crucifixion, the spitting, the slapping, the beating, the all the way through all of it. His trust was in God. 
He trusted in God. And that's what Isaiah says. He trusted in God that he would deliver him. And he did. He did trust in His trust was in God. And hear me say this, guys. Jesus at his core understands that people can be wonderful. How many of y'all know, even though people can drive you nuts, people can be wonderful. And the one thing we need to learn as we wrap this whole lesson up, and this is one of the biggest lessons we can take out of the cross, God who knows everything considered people worth it. He considered it worth it. So I'm telling you, when you're facing difficult people, when you're facing difficult loved ones, difficult relationships, I'm standing here and I'm telling you that the person who knows people best deems them worth it. They're worth it. Yeah, it's a hassle. How many of y'all know relationships are a hassle? And if your relationship ain't messy, hang out. It'll get there. You're either in a mess, coming out of a mess, or just fixing to get in another one. I mean, it's just relationships. But Jesus believed people are worth it. And Jesus lived free because he had appropriate expectations of people. You didn't have to tell him about people. He knew about people. He had appropriate expectations. And you know what? At some point, guys, if we're going to have good relationships, we're going to have to be able to say, people are people. Even the best of people, they still are people. I, as your pastor, I hope I don't let you down. I hope I don't make you mad. I hope I don't irritate you. I hope I don't hurt your feelings. With my whole heart, I hope I don't. But hear me say this clearly. It, it, I'm a people. And people let people down. I wish it weren't that way. But people hurt people. People disappoint people. And Jesus knew their people. That's why you never put anybody on a pedestal. You put your trust, your confidence in God. And God's going to see you rise again. So let's wrap it up. We need to examine our own lives to see if there's any wicked way in us. We need to stay before God in prayer. We need to know when to remain silent. We need to ask God, please help us forgive before they hurt us. Dear God, help us to respond to you more than react to people. Help us to minister to somebody else even when we're hurting. And give us discernment to know when to place some healthy distance. And let our trust always be in you. Would you stand up with us? We are done. <sighs> Anybody else glad this lesson's over? <laughs> I'm just telling you. Oh, let's pray. Father, I, Lord, your word is so, so real. God's so practical. So much what we really need and sometimes what we don't want. And Lord Jesus, we look at how you walked through that experience. And God, honest to goodness, we marvel at what you did, Jesus. And how you did it. And how you managed to love us through it. And God, every one of us in this room, we, we acknowledge that we are no better than any of those people. We're no better. 
All we are is saved by grace. And so God, help us to give the same kind of grace that you so freely give us in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Troy First Assembly of God. We would love for you to join us on a Sunday morning if you're in the area. Our address is 432 South Lincoln Drive in Troy, Missouri. Otherwise, you can connect with us on Facebook. The link for our Facebook page can be found below.